Well, we are in the middle of a series called Blueprints for the Good Life. It's a series on the Ten Commandments. You may have heard the saying that goes something like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but lies and names won't hurt me. Really? What does God's Word say about that? Follow along with me. We're going to look at this Ninth Commandment in Deuteronomy 5, then read from Numbers, Proverbs, and John. And I believe these words should be on your screen. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then in Numbers 23, verse 19, it says this. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And then in Proverbs chapter 6, we read these words. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And then in John chapter 8, as Jesus is speaking, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you will bless this reading of your word and that you will pour out your spirit on us through the preaching of it, that it would affect our lives, both convicting us, stepping on our toes but also overwhelming us like a flood with your grace and mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a fantastic movie. You've seen it, no doubt. You might recognize it by some of the lines that are in it in this one hysteric, hysterically funny scene. He goes, You're not Santa. Don't listen to him. He's a liar! You disgust me! You sit on a throne of lies. You smell like beef and cheese. You're not Santa. He's a fake. He's a fake. If you've seen Elf, then you know that scene that I'm talking about when Santa is exposed as a fraud and all the kids are going crazy and houses start crashing and decorations start crashing, gingerbread houses are smashed and all kinds of things. It's hilariously funny. But lying is not funny. You will lie for a variety of reasons in life, right? You may lie in order to put someone else down because you're angry with them. Rather than loving them, you will lie to tear them down and slander them. You may lie to impress someone, seeking their approval and love, and, in, and instead of being in a trustworthy relationship, you build something that is fake, not the real thing. You lie to cover up your sins because they're embarrassing because of the guilt because of the shame and instead of knowing the depth of real love for you you hide in insecurity in isolation and loneliness if you were listening well to the scripture that we just read a minute or two ago there's some themes that you should be able to draw from that one of those themes is that God is truth. 
He does not lie. He cannot lie. And he hates lying. Satan, however, is the father of lies. God made us then, built us in relationship with him to be built on honesty and trust. When you lie, you are not bearing the image of God who cannot lie, but the image of Satan, the father of lies. He's a fake. It's no authentic way to be human. Not the way God designed it to be. So what we're seeing today, and what this title of this sermon, what God commands us is do not lie, but live honestly. Do not lie, but the positive side of that then is to live honestly with one another. There's three points I want to talk to you about today. The first one we'll put on the screen is this, is living honestly is a prerequisite for justice in society. Living honestly is prerequisite for justice in society. Now, what do I mean by that? Did you notice the language of the commandment, the ninth commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, or some say bear false witness, right? It has in mind this idea of telling the truth, especially in court, but before any official body in which you are, have vowed or pledged to do so. It might be before a board of accountability, or when you have fiduciary responsibilities. In any official capacity that way, it says do not bear false witness, do not lie. And, it doesn't, and the Bible hates that because it hates lying and it wants justice done. For example, in Deuteronomy, where this commandment we just read is, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 and 19, notice the language it talks about someone who get, who's giving testimony before the elders are in a court. It says, the judge must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge evil from your midst. Not acceptable at all, right? Like, no. It's so unacceptable because it so undercuts the foundation of what would be just and good for human society to flourish. God says you must not sustain that or allow that. You must put a stop to it. Without truth, justice cannot be served. Who gets justice when witnesses lie on the stand? Who gets justice when witnesses won't testify to the truth? You see how truthfulness is foundational, a prerequisite bedrock of social order. It must be there or everything will start to unravel. If truth is suppressed, it favors some people but does not give justice for all. I don't know if you're aware of this story. I wasn't until I saw it pop up in a news article a few months ago. It's about a Finnish woman named Pavi Rasanan, and she was charged with hate speech in March of 2022. But in the district court of Helsinki, she was cleared of her charges. Big breath of relief. However, the prosecutor was not satisfied with that and appealed the decision of the lower court on August 31st of this year. There's no double jeopardy in Finland, so she can be tried again for this. The prosecutor's argument in the appeal is this. Listen carefully. The point isn't whether Hassanen wrote about humans, what, what Hassanen wrote about human sexuality was true, but that it was insulting. Let me say that again. 
The prosecutor is saying the point isn't whether what Rasanan wrote about human sexuality was true, but that it's insulting. According to the prosecutor, Rasanan's use of the word of sin some 20 years ago was, quote, degrading and violated, quote, sexual rights. So she was charged with crimes against humanity for saying what she believed to be true as a Christian. And if there's no place for truth, then justice begins to fall apart. Now, she's been cleared once. Maybe she'll be cleared again. We shall see. You may feel the sting of cancel culture in our day. You may feel like you've been dismissed, blocked, and no longer listened to. The postmodern commandment about truth and lie, if there were a postmodern commandment, I imagine it would say something like this. The postmodern commandment about speech is to speak your truth, but it must not be offensive. That's the standard for today. If truth is labeled offensive and suppressive, it's going to lead to oppression of people. Which is why the founders of this country said free speech is really important. So yes, you're free to speak, but just because you have free speech does not mean it's morally okay to lie about other people. So while this command speaks to honesty in a, in a court or official capacity kind of setting, we also need to talk about honesty not just in that court setting, but in the court of public opinion. Because this is where you and I mostly live our lives, is in the court of public opinion, right? And free speech does not mean it's morally okay for you to lie about people. Stealing reputations by distorting facts, flat-out lying, slandering, or gossiping. Did I mention we're in a political season? That's sin. In a world of social media and fake news, there's a good chance if you use that, and I'm not saying you shouldn't use it, but there's a good chance if you use that, that this might be the commandment you break most frequently. Because we, was it fake news or not? Did I spread something that was true or a lie? Did I slander somebody else in what I just said and commented on? I mean, that's serious. But society is polarizing over things like that. And how is that going to change unless Christians will say, I am not going to participate in spreading lies and rumors or gossiping and slandering about other people. That's not helpful for a just society to function in human flourishing. So be careful what you share. Another way there's, we need honesty in the court of public opinion is related to trans people. And I want you to listen carefully because I know this is difficult for many of you and for friends that you have, loved ones. If a person is claiming a different sex than their biological anatomy and genes gave them at birth. It is factually fake. It's not what is true. In that way, it's lying. And the reason I'm pointing this out and I'm going to come back to it later. 
so stay tuned. Don't tune me out. But the reason I'm pointing this out is because it messes with justice. Right? I mean, think about it this way. You college sports fans and you Michigan fans, yeah, go blue, but your coach is suspended, like you're under investigation for cheating and stealing signs because you took after the Patriots or something. I don't know what it was, right? But it's a big deal all across college sports. Injustice, this can't happen, this isn't fair, it's not right. Meanwhile, Riley Gaines, a female intercollegiate athlete at the University of Kentucky, speaks out about the disparity and injustice about men compete, biological males, competing in her sport and taking titles she could have won in scholarship money. Crickets, she's silenced. Why is one true and good and the other not true and good to be talked about? Why is one lie versus another held up in this court or put down in this court of public opinion? It matters, honesty matters for justice in society. But let me go on to my second point, and we'll come back to that in a little bit here. So, right, we said living honestly is a prerequisite for justice in society, but then the second point is living honestly prevents evil to protect people. Now, what we're going to do here is take a little bit of an excursus, and I want you to stay with me on this. A positive command that is implicit on the flip side of a negative command of not lying, the positive command is that we are, to here, to seek our, we are here to seek our neighbor's good by speaking what is true about them, not what is not true. And so this raises questions for us. Well, when someone wants to harm another person and they ask for your assistance in harming them rather than loving your neighbor, do you have to give them the information they want? In other words, if you tell them the information that might be true, that does harm to your neighbor, but then you don't want to do it, are you lying by not doing it? Do you see the moral dilemma? Right? In other words, what I'm asking you is, is there a moral dilemma where we have no choice but to break this commandment and tell a lie? I don't think that that is the case. I don't think God leaves us stuck with no choice but to sin when he calls us not to sin. What does that mean? How do we think about this then? Let's ask a couple of questions about this and we'll explore this and, and then come back here. First question, are we always obligated to tell the truth? Are we, since this command says don't bear false witness, are we all, and the scripture says don't lie, doesn't like lying, are we always obligated to tell the truth? Consider with me John chapter 19, verses 8 and 9. We can put those on the screen. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. He's about to be crucified. And it says, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. And Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, there was times in that conversation with Pilate where Jesus did give answers, and there was times where he refused to answer the question. He didn't tell the truth. He didn't, he didn't lie. He just didn't give him any information. So in one sense, we're not always obligated just to to spew out whatever is true just because we know it. We can be silent. Another question is, are we always obligated to tell the whole truth? I want to draw your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. 
what's happening here is King Saul has displeased the Lord and he has turned away from him. And so uh, the Lord is going to remove Saul as king over Israel and he wants to anoint and establish a new king, David. And so in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, this is what, do we have those? Yeah, this is what we read. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now notice what's happening here is Samuel is worried about Saul finding out the whole truth and then he's going to get killed. And he's like, God, what do I do? And God says, don't worry about that. I'm telling you to do what you need to do. Do, what, do this. And Saul has no right to know what's happening right now because God is making this decision. And the Lord himself suggests to Samuel, this is what you should do. You should go and tell him you are sacrificing, which he in fact does. That's not a lie. But it's not the whole truth of what he's going to do, is it? And so in this instance, what we have here is the Lord suggesting this, tell him about the sacrifice, that you're going to make sacrifice, which you will. And in a way, it's diverting attention from other information. It's not giving the whole truth in that way, if you will. This is done to guard secrets that don't need to be known. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. We have many wars being fought right now around the globe, right? If a state wanting to justly defend itself says, don't do this, if you attack us, we will retaliate and defend ourselves. That's truth. They're not required to list out, here's our strategy and our secrets that we don't want you to know so that when we go about this, you have a fair chance of stopping us. Right? They can say, we will react, so don't. And so they're speaking truth, but not telling every detail about all the things that they might do. Let me give you another maybe more personal or practical example. What if a friend or family member dies by suicide? And a young child asks, well, what, what does that mean? How did they, what happened? You don't have to tell that child all the details, all the truth. They don't need to know that. You can tell them they've died, that it's sad, that we should grieve over it. But you don't have to tell them the whole truth about it. So, are we obligated to tell the truth we saw? No, we can remain silent. Do we always have to tell the whole truth? No. Are we all always obligated to tell nothing but the truth? Now, let me, you may recognize these questions from court or law language in this country. If you go on a stand and you take a vow or an oath saying, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you need to do that because you've made an oath that you will. But in common language, back and forth, are we obligated to tell nothing but the truth? Let me give you another example. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is the Israelites getting ready to enter the land of Canaan, right? Um, and going to, uh, to, to wage war and to take it over. And they're entering Jericho. And they need, they're spying it out. Okay, so they're doing secret activity, Right? Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. 
So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the floor. So what you have here is outright deception. Like, which way'd they go? I don't know, maybe that way. But I do know, I hid them back there. What do we do with this? Rahab hides the spies, sends the police in a different direction. Just because actions are recorded in the Bible does not always mean they are good, okay? They're not automatically approved of. So just because you read somebody in the Bible that says, oh, so-and-so did this and it seemed helpful, does not mean it's automatically good. However, in this instance, the Bible itself comments on her action differently than we may expect. In James chapter 2, verse 25, he says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So he's praising her for what she did in that moment. How are we to think about that? If someone breaks into your house and intends to do you and your kids harm, assault, rape, murder, whatever, and they say, they find you and they say, okay, now tell me where your kids are so I can get them. Are you now obligated to tell that person the truth? I would say with what Rahab did, the answer is no. You are not obligated to tell them the truth. In fact, you could say, I know the kids aren't here. They spent the night at somebody else's house um, or something else. Now, why am I saying that? The reason I'm saying that, and this is important, is to insist upon truth is insisting upon justice and the foundation of trust for which God gave us speech. When somebody is coming to not do justice, but to do injustice, you are not required to aid them in injustice. Does that make sense? I hope it does, some. Because I think that's what Rahab does. Another example would be, what about the people who hid Jews during the Holocaust? Were they wrong to do so? No, it was an injustice, the murder and genocide of a whole group of people. To hide them was right, and to not tell the Nazi party about it was good so that they might save lives. All of these scenarios, though, you need to understand, right, this is an excursus to unusual situations, not normal. All of these scenarios are based on situations where the prior breakdown in a relationship has already occurred. There's no true concern for justice, no true concern for the good of another, no love toward that. And sin prevents the candor that should normally characterize communication. So our speech can be used to prevent evil, to protect people. But let's go to the third point of the sermon to, today, and that is to live, living honestly promotes healthy relationships. This is the part of it where you and I live and interact daily and mostly, and so 
I really want you to hear this and, and, and lean into this. How Jesus speaks uh, to us is important. Think about how Jesus speaks honestly to us. What does he do? He knows your sorrows and he knows your pain. Think about Jesus in terms of lying. His reputation was stolen. They ran a smear campaign against him and spread fake news and then crucified him on innocent trumped-up charges. Satan is still lying and stealing the reputation of Jesus when he whispers things to you that are not true. A little lie here and there won't hurt anybody. That's not true. Sin always hurts. Lying harms relationships. But Jesus said Satan is the father of lies and a murderer. Don't listen to him. Jesus would say sin hurts. It's wrong. Don't do it. Satan would tell you, you've already lied. You're a liar, in fact. I mean, you've been lying your whole life. I mean, you're just, how are you ever going to change? There's so much shame you have. And Jesus says, go and leave your life of sin. I'll take your shame and your guilt and cover you with my righteousness. Or Satan says, you screwed up too badly one too many times. Sure, Jesus forgave you in the past, but this time you've gone too far. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Remember the parable of the prodigal, the one who wanders away from home and takes his inheritance and spends it all in wild living and then comes back and Jesus celebrates over him and says there's much rejoicing in heaven. I heard the story this week of Kat Von D, the tattoo artist, becoming a Christian. She is a child of missionary parents from Argentina to Mexico and then she grew up mostly in California. But she's come back to faith, being baptized in a Baptist church and owning it and believing it. She's come back, and there's much rejoicing in heaven. Why? Because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And for those who are struggling with identity like transsexual, transgender, I want you to understand that the questions you're asking are valuable and good. You are seeking, who, who am I? What is it in life that's going to give me meaning and fulfill me? How am I supposed to live most fully human? What does this look like? And you've been struggling in that probably. Maybe feeling a little bit aimless and you've probably tried different things. But this you're pretty sure of. That if you just do this, if you just become trans, you'll probably then be accepted and loved and find the identity you've always been looking for. I encourage you to keep looking for that identity. Search for it. Don't stop for it. But don't find it simply within yourself. I'm encouraging you to ask those questions and to locate that identity in the name of another, in the name of Jesus, who brings us into his family and gives us a new name, a new identity, a new belonging, one that doesn't change and one that is forever. It can satisfy you like nothing else can. It's a real struggle. But find your identity in Christ. Another lie that Satan will say is maybe Jesus forgave you of that, but he's done with you. 
He's going to return you like an Amazon order. Jesus is like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I'm done, I will come back to get you and take you with me to that place. Those are the words of Jesus. Not to return you, but to bring you through the gates of splendor into heaven. This is how Jesus speaks honestly to you in relationships. Now, how should you speak honestly to others in relationships? I got two more verses for you and a table we're going to look at, and then we're going to wrap up. So thanks for hanging with me. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, and then verse 15. So Paul's writing, and he says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Okay, so don't lie, speak truthfully. And then verse 15, in the same chapter, he says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect in uh, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. This is what I want you to consider with me today and put that table on the screen, if you would, that chart. Speaking the truth with love from Ephesians 4.15. It's starting in the bottom left corner of that quadrant that says accommodate. If you don't want to speak the truth, but you think, I just want to love people, then what you will probably end up doing is accommodating in such a way that you may end up blending your beliefs and compromising what is actually true. If we go to the top right corner where it says castigate, if you speak the truth, but do it so without love, then you are castigating people and berating them. And since you're not loving them, they're probably not going to listen to you anyways. Let's go to the bottom right quadrant that says isolate. If you don't speak the truth and you don't love, you're like, I don't know, I've just had it with people, I'm done. Then you're isolating, you're living like a hermit in society. Christianity has done all of these things through centuries. They've responded in all these ways. And the one way that we should respond that is right, that Ephesians 4.15 tells us, is in the, the top left quadrant, to recreate. That is, only when you speak the truth with love are you living like a follower of Jesus. You are literally recreating in the way humanity is supposed to work and you are supposed to live speaking truth and full of love. Both of those things. And you can't compromise either of them. Now, the challenge for you is you have to ask yourself the question of what is my MO? What do I normally do? Like when I hear something, am I quick to scan it and go, is that right? Is that true or not? And if that's your MO, is it right, true, accurate? You're likely the one who is castigating because you're always scanning and venting and viewing through if it's right or true. And if it's not, you're going to let people know. If you're the person that's like, you know, can we just love people and like, not talk about stuff and just say, like, it's all good and just give hugs and I don't really want to talk about anything that might be offensive because I don't want to offend anybody, then you're probably the one that leans toward accommodating because you're afraid to talk to people about what is true. It's, you've got to figure out, where do I fit in this? What do, I, what do I like to do? Or you're like, I don't know, I'm buying 100 acres and can go live in the middle of it and never see anybody ever again. Like, okay, then you're just like, I want to run away! But Jesus tells us, or the Apostle Paul tells us through the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, that our job as Christians is to be in society and to engage with it with truth and with love, both. Telling the truth may hurt, but it's always aimed at healing and healthy relationships. And telling the truth in love rebuilds trust. It pulls people out of loneliness and desperation. You know, social media has fostered lying at light speed. 
It's contributed to the, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation that our Surgeon General has warned us about. In fact, Britain has now appointed a Minister of Loneliness for people. We use social media maybe to lie, to harm, to impress. And it would be easy to stand here and blame social media and say, ah, it's such an evil thing. It's a tool, people. It's a tool. Now, it, it has done harm, and it has accelerated what was already happening in our hearts. But it's humans that are the problem. When we distort, masquerade, lie, bully, in the ways of the evil one, it hurts relationships and doesn't build healthy human friendships. Not lying and living honestly is not just about words. You need to hear this. This is not just a sermon about words. It's about actions. Because relationships require both words and actions, and the foundation of those must be trust. And that's why honesty is important. When you speak the truth in love, it matters. Matters. Let me tell you one story and we'll end. Glenn was a freshman in high school. He was walking home one day um, from school and he saw another kid walking carrying huge stacks of books. Um, and he's walking a bunch of other bullies run up to him, push him over, knock the books everywhere, and his glasses go flying, his glasses kind of bend and break. And, and Glenn sees him lying on the ground and makes eye contact with Kyle. Kyle looks at, up at him just distraught. And so Glenn jogs over there to him and says, hey, get away. And he helps pick up the books. And he says, don't worry about those jerks. They're just being stupid. And so he helps him up onto his feet and helps carry his books. And they walk home and they get down to the street. And he's like, oh, you live on my street. I didn't even know that. How did I not know that? Kyle was like, well, I used to go to a different school, but I just changed schools. He's like, oh, okay, well, you want to hang out this weekend? Let's play football tomorrow with some of the guys. And so they hang out on Saturday with the guys. They end up hanging out all weekend together and becoming really good friends. In fact, over the next four years, they become best friends. On graduation day, Kyle was valedictorian in a class. And so Kyle has to make a speech for everybody, and he's a little nervous about it, but he's going to do it because he's smart. And in his speech, he says this. He says, graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. And I want to tell you a story. And he tells the story of the day he met Glenn, when his glasses were broken and his books tossed. And he said, I had planned to kill myself over that weekend. I cleaned out my locker and was carrying everything home so that my mom wouldn't have to do it. And then when I was at my lowest and knocked down, Glenn was there. And he came to my rescue. And Kyle looked at him sitting there and gave him a little smile and tears began to run down Glenn's face because he never knew that this was the story, that he wanted to kill himself, but that Glenn had helped rescue him. Kyle goes on and he says, thankfully I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. The crowd's gasping as Kyle speaks truth about a lonely and weak moment when he needed a real relationship 
Glenn going to him and speaking to him, saying, don't worry about it. Hey, hang out with me. Let's be friends. Changed his life. Speaking the truth in love matters. It really does make a difference. And here's the truth. The truth is you and I are Kyle. And Jesus is Glenn who comes to us when we are down in the dumps and our books are everywhere and our glasses are broken and we have lost our way. And Jesus is the one who comes and he picks us up and he says, come on, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm bringing you into the family. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me. And if we are going to live honestly in this world, it's not just about words. It's about relationships that look something like Jesus has done for us. Something like Glenn did for Kyle. Will you live honestly? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to live honestly and not be people given to lies, to distortions, to masquerades, to being fake. Lord, that requires a lot of vulnerability, a lot of trust in you, and a lot of trust in another person. So give us wisdom to know who to talk to when we're lonely, that we might find encouragement that comes from your gospel, that we might know that, Jesus, you are the one who comes to those who are down and out and broken, that you are the one who brings healing, that you are the one who gives a new name, that you are the one who gives us our identity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.